it's time. Landeskog turned it over to Horvat, right to the slot, Pedersen scores! Is there anything this kid can't do? For Locked On Canucks. Now Pedersen out the right wing side, saucer pass, left circle, Besser shoots and scores! It was good that Brock Lesnar got a goal. You got a journalism for that! The kids continue to get it done with Justin Morissette. He's a weird dude, yeah. It's good to have weird dudes. You're locked on Canucks coming at you for Thursday, April the 8th. My name is Justin Morissette. This episode brought to you by the fine folks at Rock Auto. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. Uh, and I am being sent right now uh, over the edge by the news today that the Canucks have locked up Tyler Toffoli. No, I wish they had. Not Tyler Toffoli. They signed the wrong former L.A. King. Tanner Pearson is the gentleman with a new three-year contract. And to break it all down, I was joined by the Athletic Zone, Harmon Dial. So, uh, you know what? Let's get right to that. How about Pleased to be joined on the show now, making his Locked On Canucks debut, uh, probably because he's just so dang smart, I don't want to bother him by asking him to come on this show and explain things to me. It is the Athletics' boy genius himself, Harmon Dial. And Harmon, uh, thank you so much for doing this, man. I appreciate it. Always have time for you, Justin, man. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me. All right. Well, uh, I'm just going to look at my notes here and see what I have as far as a first question for you. And it is, uh, how exactly did Travis Green tweak his lineup and strategies uh, in the St. Louis Blues series to shut down that Ryan (laughs) O'Reilly line? Oh, hang on a second. This is the question that I had written down for the interview we were supposed to have the day after I had my leg broken. But uh, I am still curious about that, honestly. I know it's not the most timely thing to be asking about, but uh, that, that is just the way uh, that Travis kind of uh, flexed his strategic muscles in the playoffs um, is still kind of baffling to me because it certainly seemed like that Ryan O'Reilly line was just uh, feeding the Canucks their lunch night in and night out and then suddenly they weren't. Yeah, I mean, I wish we were talking about playoff hockey right now or at least uh, a, a, a realistic playoff push here. Uh, but no doubt, I mean, when you when you go back to that series, I mean, I enjoy talking about things like, yeah, I mean, it wasn't even just the forward matchup, but Quinn Hughes suddenly got that uh, Ryan O'Reilly matchup, and that seemed to really shift the tide there. So, um, man, the bubble feels like it's it's so it's it's so long ago, you know. <laughs> I I am well aware because I have been uh, you know in a lengthy rehab recovery process every step of the way since then. So um, <laughs> we will we will move on to the present day, I think, Carmen, and talk about the news of the day, which is of course uh, the second major uh, contract extension of the last. I guess, 10 days here, eight days, I think, because the Demko one was last Wednesday. It is uh, Tanner Pearson, who appears to have inked a, a new deal here today. Three years, $3.25 million, if I'm not mistaken. 
And just like the Demco contract, this is not formally announced. It probably will not be until the team is back in action and it makes more sense to sort of uh, put out press releases that are not related to uh, the ongoing COVID situation. Uh, but, you know, on, on the day where the Canucks finally do not have another additional positive COVID test, you would think it would be, uh, you know, a, a time for good news here in this city. And yet uh, there are... Uh, all kinds of uh, emotional reactions to this deal. Um, I just, you know, it, it, where do you stand on this? Because I like Tanner Pearson personally, but uh, this team has to make some difficult decisions, as we saw this past offseason. And I don't think their situation that they were in uh, this past, I guess, summer, even though it was like September or October or whatever, is looking like it's going to change much for them heading into this coming offseason. Yeah, I mean, optics-wise, it, it looks really difficult because on a couple fronts here, number one is, and I know they're not directly related, but to see the Canucks lose out of Tyler to Foley at $4.25 million, he's got only three years left on his, his deal as well, and he's currently sixth in the NHL with 19 goals in 33 games, and then to juxtapose that against now the team's investing in Tanner Pearson, who only has 11 points in 33 games, and he's only making a million less. Like that looks really rough asset management wise, especially considering what the Canucks gave up to acquire to Foley in the first place. And the fact that you could have monetized Pearson at the deadline here for a return. Still, there was, there was, uh, there was still lots of interest in him as a player, especially considering his championship pedigree. And, and the fact that as a rental, he is kind of an attractive uh, piece, but uh, I mean, shifting away from, from Toffoli here, I mean, the biggest thing here is just the GM himself, Jim Benning said, he thinks the window is two years from now. Right. And so considering the flat cap economy, signing a soon to be 29 year old who is already seeing signs of decline in his game, right. He's only again, got 11 points in 33 games here to a three year extension. It doesn't align with the club's competitive cycle, right? Because uh, with Pearson, I mean, sure, maybe he's got another year of legitimate, maybe even maybe even two years of legitimate top nine value uh, remaining. And, and again, I, I'm sure we agree here. We like Pearson in terms of his two way ability, his secondary scoring, and so the so so the first year, maybe even the second year, could turn out to be fine. But it's the third year where at 3.25 million, you look at a lot of the age and scoring-based comparables for Pearson, it's likely that he's going to be firmly a bottom six piece, piece at the time. And the, I guess, it's going to converge. Pearson's decline into a bottom six piece is going to synchronize with the Canucks entering their competitive window. And it's like the frustration comes, I think, with this management group for a lot of people and the fact that you have a lot of these inefficient contracts that hamper the team's ability to build a formidable supporting cast around Ellie's Patterson and Quinn Hughes. And it's like the whole light at the end of the tunnel is, okay, when we finally get Roussel and Erickson and Beagle and all these inefficient contracts off the books, then, then that's when you can finally make a push. But that's you, you can't make that push if you keep signing these contracts that are going to be inefficient down the line. And that's what it really feels like with Pearson because, yes, he's been a quality middle six forward to this point. But again, he's soon to be 29 years old. And, he, and if you look at the history of a lot of players of his sort of profile, 
three years out from now, I don't think he's going to be that same middle six quality player. And 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 at a three point two five million, again in a flat cap environment where the Canucks still have to re-sign Pedersen and Hughes and flush out the flush out a lot of other roster spots, it's um it, it looks pretty rough here. And we'll get back to that in just a second. But right now, I want to tell you that Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but the NBA and the NHL are still in full swing. And Bet Online even covers awards, TV shows, and reality television. It is updated real time with odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Yeah, and, and I do like Tanner Pearson. We do agree on that. This is a guy that I have repeatedly gone to bat for as being sort of. Uh, underrated as a top six fit with this club, certainly uh, maybe not this past season, but the previous one where, you know, he was giving you basically fringe first line production. If we look at, uh, you know, who the top 90 scorers are in the league and, and what kind of points they put up to, to make that uh, distinction, uh, you know, he's kind of right on that bubble, which for a second line player was uh, pretty commendable, I thought. But of course, uh, he, we're already seeing some sort of decline. I don't know how much that can be sort of um, ascribed to just the, the general weirdness of this season overall, both in terms of, you know, I think we've seen a lot of pure exhaustion from the guys with the schedule that they've had to work with. And obviously the team was just out of sorts in general for, you know, most of the first month and a half of this season. Um but, like, yeah, it's it seems like, especially when you look at it in light of what they did or rather did not do this past offseason, uh, whether that's, you know, Tyler Toffoli or Troy Stetcher, I think you can look at either of those guys and make a case for uh, the reaction to losing one of those pieces, whether it's a top six scorer who fits with your team in Tyler Toffoli or you know, a genuine leadership piece of this uh, of this group, a guy who is like best friends with the core part of, of the roster, the nucleus that you're building um, in, in Troy Stetcher. Like you can look at the reaction to losing either of those guys and see this signing as kind of reactive to uh, that pushback when you kind of like, look, we know that last offseason was a disaster you just have to let it go, though, right? Like, you cannot be making moves um, as a reaction to your previous mistakes, which it feels like sometimes this team does uh, a little too often. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, a couple points there. For starters, I think it's also important to remember with Pearson, you might look at him and say, you know, 21 goals in 69 games last year, 45 points. Maybe he can bounce back to that kind of form. Uh, I think it's important for fans to kind of realize and, and remember that six of those goals and three more of those assists came were deposited into empty nets, right? And, you know, obviously that isn't without, a, without any value. Obviously, it's reflective of the fact that Pearson's a kind of two-way player that you can depend on to play in those um, late minutes to defend a lead. But it does show you that his counting stats and, and point totals were a little bit inflated. And... Um, when you kind of look ahead, uh, look ahead and, and sort of surmise where this team is at, and even if you look back at this past offseason, I think 
you know, disaster may be a little bit too harsh. Like, absolutely, the decision to, let's say, re-sign Jake Vertanen and um, at that expense or, or not to buy anyone out and not to carve out room for Toffoli, that looks really rough as this kind of losing Troy Stetcher. But um, you could understand at least, you, you could kind of build a, a rationale for it if the idea was, okay, we're going to play conservative here, right? We're keeping an eye towards long-term cap flexibility. That's why we didn't re-sign Markstrom. That's why we didn't re-sign Tanev. That's why maybe you weren't too aggressive on a guy like Toffoli. Okay, I think it would have been a whole lot more palatable and digestible for this market if they actually stuck to that game plan and then said, okay, if if this is a game plan here, if, if this is our blueprint to getting to a cup contender, then we have to look at the 2022 slash 23 season where you have Beagle off, you have uh, Erickson off, you have the Luongo recapture penalty off, all those things working in your favor to open up flexibility. And then that's your all in year. And so every decision therefore is made with that target in mind. And, but, but the frustration comes, comes again, then when you re-sign a guy like Pearson, where it, it just, again, it doesn't fit where, He's the type of player who, at 3.25, he may not, he, he may live up to his contract for the first year, but again, it's years two and three where you really begin to have uh, issues, and especially like you have to keep in mind. I look at a guy like look at Richard Ponick in in Washington. Once you deduct both players as empty net points, their point per game paces over the last uh, three years are pretty similar, and I think. Obviously, there's a difference there in terms of ice time and the fact that Ponick's mostly been more of a bottom six piece, whereas Pearson's obviously been a second line player. But obviously, I think each team's quality makes a difference there too, where Ponick's been in Washington and that's such a deep team on the wings. And and so if you kind of swap those players, I'm sure Ponick would have been playing in the top, playing in the top six as well, top six as well. So anyway, they're similar kind of quality players and. You know, both guys have struggled this past year, and Ponick was recently put on waivers, uh, $2.75 million for the next two years. Uh, and and so I think that just kind of underscores that this is the kind of contract you don't want to uh, have on your books, and you're seeing these sort of middle-class players, more and more of these issues start to percolate. I mean, uh, Florida signed Brett Connolly, uh, what was it, a couple of years ago, and, and he dropped off pretty significantly uh, in his uh, late 20s here, and, and he was put on waivers. And you're seeing Edmonton regret the Zach Cassian contract pretty quickly here as well. And it's just one of those things where you look at this uh, landscape that you're in, especially with the fact that if you're a team that has star-level talent that you're going to have to pay top dollar for, then unquestionably the number one uh, priority, then the number one toolkit you need as a manager is to be able to efficiently allocate capital and manage the cap. And this just feels like another example of, hey, we're going to, be, we're, we're, we've attached ourselves to this, this contract where it looks like towards the latter stages of that con- of, of, of the contract, it's going to be inefficient. And it just feels like you're making these same mistakes over and over again of overpaying for non-essential uh, middle to bottom end roster pieces that are aging. Well, especially in this exact moment when you're going into the summer where you need to lock up Pedersen and Hughes. 
it's, you know, I, I understand thinking that Demko is also an equivalently important piece, maybe a little bit less so, obviously, than those two guys. Uh, but to be spending capital on Tanner Pearson before you've really moved along as uh, as far as signing up those key guys, it just doesn't make sense to me, right? Like, it, it, the model that contending teams use is to spend your money and have cost certainty in your star players. And time and time again, it seems like this team wants to do the exact opposite of that and and have cost certainty in, in like, waiver-eligible players in their bottom part of the lineup. And, uh, like... <laughs> It's really difficult as well to see them never uh, really go shopping in the bargain bin as well. Like, there are guys who uh, do not get qualified, especially in this current climate because of the crunch that teams are in. You know, just like the Canucks did not resign really any of their players last summer uh, or or fall or whenever it happened to be <laughs> because they, they couldn't. There are other teams in that position too. And yet instead of going out and getting, um, you know, a, a Dominic Cahoon or, or a Dylan DeMello or, or like a player like that, that you could acquire for cheap and would outperform the guys that you're spending huge money on. It seems like this team just consistently again and again wants to spend big money at a time when other franchises, other teams, other GMs are seemingly able to uh, score some deals here in this climate as a result of the flat cap and the pandemic, it doesn't seem like the Canucks are operating in a flat cap pandemic world. They are operating exactly as they have for the last seven years, and it's just, uh, you know, infuriating on some level. Yeah, totally understandable. I mean, you even look at... Like Florida is probably the the model example of that this past offseason, right? Where they saw an opportunity with uh, with Tampa Bay not being able to hold on to Carter Verhage, and so now they got Verhage locked up for the for this season and next at one million per year, and Verhage's got seventeen goals and thirty five points in forty games here, and it, it's just one of those examples where sure for defensemen you often have to invest top dollar whether. It's through drafting and developing or the trade market or, or wherever you may have to acquire more proven commodities like an H. Schmidt because it's it's harder to uncover uh, diamonds in the rough. But up front, middle six forwards are, if you're confident in your scouting ability, you've got to be able to mine those pieces. Um, I mean, I look at, uh, let's say, Chicago. How many times year after year have they just mind some random European from Switzerland or or even obviously it started with with Panarin and uh, Kubelik and, and P.U. Suter and and, and and so it's just teams do have teams do show the capacity of being able to find these diamonds in the rough that can contribute in the middle six and that's what the Canucks had to do this offseason they had to go out especially because of this upcoming Seattle expansion draft like the game plan in my mind, should have been pretty simple, right? It's to monetize Tanner Pearson at the trade deadline because there are still teams that value his contributions in in the, in the capacity of a rental. And whatever draft capital you get back, then that becomes all of a sudden currency that you can weaponize to acquire future Tanner Pearson replacement, right? Where you've already got Pod Colson coming into the mix and, and, and perhaps he could have been someone that... Uh, that helps you out in the middle six providing comparable value. But then in addition to that, you're going to have teams and, and Thomas Drance and I wrote about it in the athletic where teams are obviously only going to be able to protect seven guys up front, uh, some forwards. 
And so with that in mind, you are going to see some of these deeper teams with forwards that they might otherwise lose for nothing. And you may have buying opportunities there where you might, where you might have an opportunity to get a guy for 80 cents on the dollar, right? St. Louis with Zach Sanford, um, Carolina with Warren Fogle. And those types of players are just younger and cheaper and they would, uh, they'd be actually attainable in terms of, um, in terms of uh, the price to acquire them if you had flipped Pearson at the deadline. So it just feels like the game plan was there where with this expansion opportunity, like this was the situation where a smart, a smart franchise has to find the next Jonathan Marshall. So, right. Or maybe even not to that extent, just a, a capable middle six piece. I mean, look at what the Canucks did um, a, a year or two ago in, uh, with, uh, with respect to finding Josh Levo. They got him for practically nothing, inserted him, and when he was in the lineup, quality middle six guy that could play with Horvat up and down the lineup, solid two-way player. Like these these types of guys are a dime a dozen. And it just feels like again, Pearson is someone who inarguably the team is better with his services than without him. But there's a certain cost that comes to doing business, and it just feels like uh, this is one of those situations where the Canucks overpaid. I mean, I'll ask you this. If Pearson is put on, or if Pearson's put on waivers right now at three point two five million, is is any team claiming him? And obviously, in terms of his raw ability as a player, he'd get picked up, right? Teams are interested in him as a rental. However, at the three point two five times three contract in a flat cap environment where teams are pressed up against the cap, is Pearson getting claimed on waivers with that contract attached to him? No. Like that's I, I, I yeah, and that and that's. And that's the valid uh, question to ask yourself. And it feels like, again, like this is where the Canucks kind of almost, it feels like outbid themselves where when a guy like Pearson hits the market, I mean, look at this past off season, how long it took guys like Mike Hoffman and Taylor Hall to sign and all they could get were one year deals. How many, like this was an unprecedented buyer's market in free agency. And so Tanner Pearson is, this, is the kind of guy who middle-class player teams aren't going to be chomping at the bit on the first day of free agency to give him a three-year term at north of $3 million. Look at what Toffoli, he only got $4.25 million, right? So it's one of those situations where, um, you know, from a variety of facets, it just, it, to be honest, uh, it, it, it's it's hard to, to wrestle with, hard to grapple with. And um, it, it's, um, again, it, it just feels like more than anything, it's, not this contract in a vacuum that's frustrating, right? If you if you just had one Tanner Pearson like contract on your books coming up, you could you can live with that. If you have two, even still, you can live with that. It's it's not ideal, but the problem comes in the fact that yeah, you have Pearson, but then you also have Tyler Myers, and you also have Antoine Roussel, and and the list just goes on and on and on. Uh, and that's I think what's so frustrating for Canucks fans. We'll get back to that in just a second, but right now I want to tell you. About auto parts. Yes, we know, folks, that going to a garage, going to uh, have your car looked at, can be an exhausting experience. Of course, there are so many makes and models these days that anywhere you go, probably not going to have the specific part that your car requires anyways. And you know how those guys are when you're in there. They don't have the part that you need, but they're going to try and sell you something that you don't. That is not the case, however, for the good folks at rockauto.com. Yes, rockauto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online 
for the last 20 years. If you go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers, you are always going to find what you need. They have everything from engine control modules to brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands specifications and prices that you prefer and best of all prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers why spend up to twice as much to get the same parts when you can go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in the how did you hear about us box so you know that we sent you Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. I mean, I was frustrated when they acquired uh, Nate Schmidt, and I like Nate Schmidt. Nate Schmidt is a, is a very good player, a very valuable player for this team, but he has a steep contract, and uh, you, you cannot uh, continue to be banking on what you're going to do with this money when it comes off the books if you're constantly adding more expensive items on. And yeah, exactly like you said, it does feel like guys' values have been flattened in an ordinary world, in a, in a non-flat cap, in a non-pandemic free agency. I think we can all agree that Tyler Toffoli is probably a $6 million player as a UFA, or maybe even more than that. Uh, whereas, you know... I think Tanner Pearson got the deal that is exactly the deal that he would have gotten, you know? He he yeah. he got paid what he would get paid in ordinary times and I just don't know how you can do that right now really. And and it's even more frustrating to harm because I feel like the line that we've been sold all off season and and through this season as well is that the the tap has been turned off. The spigots are closed. There is no cash flow to support this team and the things that it wants to do. That's certainly what Travis Green has been told all year as to why he doesn't have a contract right now. And so every time they are, you know, making moves like this in the last week or so, I just think about Travis Green and how he must feel right now. And and I understand as well that maybe if you thought you were going to make a change at the GM position, uh, that you would want to let the new guy coming in decide who his coach was going to be and not commit to Travis this season when it certainly seemed back in February that Jim Benning was a dead man walking. Well, that doesn't appear to be the case anymore. If you're letting him make these deals, it certainly seems that the GM is going to be back in charge next season, at least for next season. And uh, I don't know how you square that with everything else we've been told for the last year. Yeah, I think the biggest issue with the, with the kind of organization, and this is where, you know, I think it stems beyond just management, is just this overall lack of, I think, vision and big picture planning with respect to building an actual cup contender, right? It feels like the quest every year is, what can we do just to make the playoffs? And in doing that, in cutting corners, the Canucks have ironically made the job more difficult for themselves. And and so every year they're handcuffed with with their kind of financial outlook. But I mean, I mean, just look back at the past seven years when Jim Benning initially came in. They this is a group that talked about turning around quickly, that didn't commit to a rebuild. 
they traded away more picks than they acquired, right? So they didn't follow the regular underlying process of a rebuilding team. You had Trevor Linden out there talking about, oh, we, we can't rebuild with the Sedins around. And it, it just feels like, you know, you had you had that happen, right? Where where that's when the Canucks also signed Louis Erickson, and that's when they traded for and, and, and gave Brandon Sutter a big contract extension. That's when they moved assets for Eric Branson. One of the worst off-seasons that I can ever remember, honestly. Yeah, and and then and then what kind of happened thereafter was the team kept losing. They were in the basement, and then it almost seemed like there was an underlying shift of okay, like maybe we've got, we've got to take a step back here. And, and then there was that uh, one uh, when uh, trade deadline where they moved Burroughs and they moved Hanson, and then you thought, okay, they've got an eye towards the future now. Mm-hmm. They're going to build this out and be patient. But then what happened in uh, in 2018? They went out and signed the Jay Beagle contract. They signed Antoine Roussel. And, um, and, and, and the year after they, they obviously signed Tom Myers as well, Michael Furland and, 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 and that all kind of came under the backdrop of Trevor Linden leaving the organization amid uh, reports and rumors of friction in terms of the direction of the franchise. And it just seems like there's been this flip-flop of like one year, the team's trying to go all in and, and, and make the playoffs. And then the other year they're, they're kind of taking a step back and, and trying to reset and, and, take take an eye towards the future right like that's where you look at the Canucks last um last season you know they went all in to push and and acquire to Foley at the deadline for a rental that, that they didn't keep uh, and then this past off season they let every unrestricted free agent pending unrestricted free agent they had literally every single one of them walk and and that was with the intent in mind of okay we're gonna let we're, we're going to preserve some of our long-term flexibility, but then they go out and, and now they're flip-flop, flip-flopping again, where now you're re-signing Pearson rather than sticking to the idea of let's, if we've committed to the idea of let's take a step back, then why don't we just go all in, in 2022, 23, where that's the season where you have all the flexibility to work with. But I think that's just the biggest problem. And again, that's why I think it goes above management to an extent where there's a certain level of in, impatience with ownership from day one with this rebuild. And that ironically has caused them to spin their tires longer and longer. And so I, it just feels like, like this isn't this Pearson extension in a vacuum. Isn't, isn't this egregious um, kind of uh, kind of boneheaded decision that, Oh, oh just, like just for the signing alone, you're done with this management group. It's just overall, you look at the cumulative effects of, seven years and and the kind of um again incongruence with their decision making processes processes it leaves you wondering if they really have a plan to build a stanley cup contender and i think that's what what really is the most frustrating part about all this yeah it's not that it's uh you know um a a horrible move on its face it's that in terms of death by a million cuts this feels like the millionth cut at this point um, and it's ironic too because you were talking about the the sound the, the year where they did the right thing at the deadline that was entirely imposed by the Vegas expansion draft right and it felt like yeah, this year between both the pending expansion draft and the fact that they are trying to be cheap as possible given the the budget that they've had to work with over the course of this season it sort of felt like both of those things could combine to make them do the right thing again 
And so it is just so fury infuriating to see when we are, you know, a week before the deadline, well, suddenly we have money to spend and do the stupid things that we shouldn't have done. It's just like, <sighs> you know, I feel like, uh, you know, Jackson McDonald has been making this metaphor quite a bit. I, I feel like uh, Charlie Brown. I, I believed that I could kick the football this time. And Lucy has pulled it away from me. Uh, again, but uh, you know, Harmon. Before we started, uh, when I came into my room to record this, JD was hoping that you might be able to talk me off the ledge. I gotta say, uh, I don't feel much better about the the future prognosis of this team and their ability to be competitive. But I did have a good time talking to you, and that's certainly worth something. Thanks for having me, Justin. <laughs> my pleasure. There it is, your show for the day. Once again, I want to thank Harmon Dial from The Athletic for stopping by to chat with me. Ever so intelligent, that boy genius. And a really long overdue appearance. I've been meaning to ask him on for a very long time, and I'm glad to have finally made that happen. Hope you enjoyed it as well. I'll be back again with another show for you tomorrow. Might even address the Thatcher Demko contract extension, which I thought I would have time to uh, get into with Harmon, but just so much Tanner Pearson stuff today. Uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. So, you know, it's no, never a dull moment with this team over the last 10 days or so, uh, even if the news has not always been good. Until tomorrow when we do this all over again, I have been and will continue to be Justin Morissette, and you've been locked in on Locked On Canucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.